Welcome to the Appalachian Baptist Network. We seek to equip, encourage, and engage pastors and church leaders in the Appalachian region. We focus on having conversations on church revitalization in the mountains and beyond. Your hosts are Matthew Jacobs, Brent Snyder, Jacob Gwynn, and Travis Tyler. Welcome back to the Appalachian Baptist Network. I'm your host, Travis, and joining me today is Brent Snyder and Matthew Jacobs. How's it going, guys? Going good. Good to be here. On this floody, this flooding over here in East Tennessee, is the rains pretty bad? You guys are in high country, though. You don't worry about that, do you? Well, we do, because we actually get this thing called a mudslide that I saw on my way home today to record this episode. There's big boulders um, that have been moved off the road to my house. Yeah, a lot of people don't know that the... Uh, I guess the number one thing we worry about natural disaster-wise in Appalachia probably is flash flooding. And yeah. So, and flash flooding is exactly like it sounds. It happens very quickly in a flash. So It, it does. When I actually I moved up here, I asked somebody, I said, is flash flooding like a real thing, or is it just mean that it's rained in the last week? Because in Alabama, that just means it's rained within the last week. Yeah. No, I mean, and this is the time of year we get it bad. Like probably late winter, early spring is yes. the roughest rains, I think, in the mountains here. And well, we, I wouldn't necessarily say it's the roughest rains. I think it's when the ground is most saturated. Yeah. It's snow saturating and then the rain that we get throughout the winter. Yeah, I was in Fall Branch <laughs> early this morning, and uh, there's a waterfall there. For those of you who like to look at waterfalls, Fall Branch, Tennessee has a great one. And it normally is just this beautiful kind of pristine-looking waterfall. It just looked like the Niagara Falls, but with like angry, dark brown water. So I was like, oh. So anyway. uh, All right. Well, today on the episode, we're going to talk about the life cycle of a church. And this is kind of coming after we finished our series on church culture. And this is uh, something that I don't know that every pastor necessarily thinks about. I know that a lot of churches don't always think about a church's death, but churches die on a pretty regular basis. And, um, We'll talk about that when we get to that part of the cycle, but let's talk about the life cycle of church. What is the life cycle of a church? How should we think about it, and why should we think about it? So let's just throw that out to start with. Would you like us to begin with what is the life cycle of a church? Let's start there. What is the life cycle of a church? Well, you know, to to sort of play off what you were saying to lead into that, we do sort of refuse to accept that churches have life cycles and it's it's crazy that we don't acknowledge it more because you know what the 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 church is a living organism and what living organism doesn't have uh doesn't have a life cycle and so i think it is something that we need to acknowledge but i guess i mean i i don't know i don't have a definition right in front of me but you know i I think that and you said we were going to talk about the s curve a little bit so i'll hold off on that but you know, the, the life cycle is just the, the, the process, the uh, timeline, I guess you could say, uh, the history and uh, the present state and the future of your church, the, up and, the ups and downs, all of those things. So let's talk a little more about what those stages look like. Um, you know, if we were to think about and relate this to a person's life, you know, you're born, you grow and develop, and then you kind of hit a plateau when you're middle-aged. And then your body starts betraying you in your senior adult years and things start breaking down. And then eventually you die. 
And in a similar fashion, the church follows similar stages. So the first part here, let's just, let's just kind of talk about each stage and stage and then we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about death and how that can be used for the glory of God too. Birth of a church. What does a birth of a church look like? Now, it's worth noting here that in some places a birth is spelled or a church plant is spelled S-P-L-I-T, right? Uh, you know, I heard one person say the, the, the thing that Baptists do best is, uh, we're just like cats. We, um, we fight and multiply. And so a lot of churches that have been born have been born out of conflict. Uh, are there any issues though with a church being born from a conflict, you think? Yes. And the main reason I would say yes is when you, when you look at it, how are we making Christ look beautiful? If you decide to start the work because you got your feelings hurt over what was going on with the old church. Um, that was actually the funny thing is, is I was listening to David Platt's latest sermon on my way back down to the house today. And he actually hit on that. He, um, he hit on how we as Baptists have historically been great at planting new churches. They're splitting off from another church. Yeah. And really what ends up happening to the community is normally a church splits and opens up its doors a couple miles down the road from the previous church they were at. It's not like they go to another part of the county, another part of a town. They're still in the same community. So if the community in smaller texts of Appalachia, they know what's going on in the community. They're going to hear the drama. They're going to hear the gossip. And when a church sits there and decides to split off of another church from drama, all they're doing is making the kingdom look bad. They're giving lost people and non-believers just more fuel to the fire of us being hypocrites. Mm-hmm. Christ calls us to love our neighbor as ourselves, and Christ calls us to put aside all these issues for the sake of the kingdom. And then they see us fighting; they want nothing to do with us. Yeah, I agree. I think if we were to relate this to just how people are born, you know, sometimes there are children that are born that maybe it was they're born, you know, they're conceived in a wedlock or they're born because of a lot of issues it wasn't like wasn't like a couple who got married and wanted a child to come sometimes it just kind of happens god can still use that child just like god can still use that church if it was born out of a split because some of you may be listening and and you were born out of a split the church i pastor was born out of a split 70 some years ago so nobody has really left to know what the split was over but we came out of calvary baptist church years ago and I don't think it was one of those intentional, we're going to birth you churches. I think it was a, uh, we're not going to do that. And we're going to go down the road and start a new church from what I've seen of the records. So it's not that, so you can have a, I guess, a difficult church launch, you know, where it's kind of launching out of conflict. Uh, let's talk about what kind of happens then uh, as we shift gears. Where if the church launches and does somewhat well with a vision and what we would hope is a biblical vision of, the Great Commission and the Great Commandments and their missional, we should move into the next stage, which is going to be uh, growth and development. Uh, you guys, anything you would like to share about growth and development there? What are some of the things we're seeing during growth and development? Well, growth and development. Go ahead, Brent. Yeah, well, I was just, I'll, I'll say this as a way of transition too, because, you know, what we're saying about these, uh, about these, these church splits, you know, church slash church plants in our area, well, anywhere, but I think it's really predominant here in, in Appalachia because I would have to think that the majority of the churches that have been started in our region in the last 50 to 75 years have 
more than likely come out of a split rather than a legitimate plant. And so to move to this phase of growth and development that we're talking about, I think there has to be there has to be some season of of repentance. Mm. Uh, you know, even if you know, even if reconciliation isn't possible with the original church that you split from, I think if you you may have you may have seasonal success, but have sustained success. I think there's got to be a, a real season of, of repentance. And maybe you're in one of these churches, and maybe maybe the split happened 25 years ago. But just because the church has still got its doors open doesn't mean that, you know, appropriate repentance has taken place. And so I would say it's still not too late uh, just to seek the Lord and, uh, you know, make, you know, try to make restitution with some people. But I would say that the, the growth and development of the church is dependent, if it comes out of a split, this is obviously different for a legitimate church plant, but if it comes out of a split, I would say that this process of repentance reconciliation would be necessary. So, Matthew, go ahead with what you were going to say. Well, moving into looking at that, that early lifestyle, life cycle of the church, I think what it looks like is once the initial plant or gospel work has started in a biblical way, and you start the growth process, it's the church is looking at who they are and who God is calling them to be. So they're looking at um, starting you know, starting the process. When you, when you start a, a church... Typically speaking, you do not have a Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Sunday school classes format for a church. Because typically when you start the church, you don't have all the resources for those types of ministries and, and whatever to go on. Um, so normally you're sitting there and starting to build your infrastructure as a church. I know, for example, different churches that I know that are, that are plants or have planted, you start to struggle with if, if God is blessing it and you're growing at a significant pace you're having to deal with just some of the maintenance issues you know mm-hmm. okay we, we had you go through you know if it's membership if we're going to have a a meaningful membership regenerate church membership process okay last month we had 50 people go through our membership class and decide they're going to be members of our church now where do we plug these 50 people in um and if you're having that on a consistent basis there's a lot of maintenance of you know how how are we involving every member into the life of the church and so in the, in the early stages of development, you're recognizing new leaders. Maybe you have, didn't have deacons at the beginning of the church plants. You're coming up with who deacons are. Maybe you're realizing that we have a lot of kids that are coming. So we need to form, formulate some ministry within our church to minister to the kids and the parents that are coming to our church now. And so it's really, I think it's not just looking at what God's doing, but it's saying these are the people God's bringing us. Now, how do we further minister to these people, so you're starting to build your DNA a little bit more in the growth process of who you are as a church. Yeah, on the on the on the topic of DNA, I think you've got you know people love what is new. That's right. Uh, they're they're attracted to what is new, whether whether it's new out of a church split or whether it's 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 what we would consider a biblical church plant. People love what is new, and so I think in in regards to the DNA. You need to recognize whether you're experiencing new growth or transfer growth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and and maybe it's both, but I think you have to identify, you know, who fits into which category. And I would be, you should be mindful if it's transfer growth. Transfer growth can be very dangerous for a church, very dangerous for a church. And if it is transfer growth, just because someone has a past history of faithfulness to a church body, 
it, it may not necessarily be the best thing to put them in leadership right away, you know. And so you have to be you have to be careful about making assumptions about people. And, and I think it's really important to acknowledge the difference between what sort of growth am I experiencing? Is it is it new growth or is it transfer growth? And along this line, since we're talking about growth, let me take a moment here and distinguish a couple of things and rewind the tape back even to the launch. I was a part of a church plant in southern Indiana. And what we found at that church was the people who originally started the church, not all of them, but a lot of them really started the church because they couldn't beat the wolf pack that was in place at the church they were all in. They couldn't be king of the hill. And so they wanted to start a new church where they could be king of the hill. And when they got in there, they found out they were really more unified under what they didn't like and didn't want in a church than they were unified in what they wanted in a church. So that's another thing with turbulent starts to churches. Second thing is, as you move into the second phase of growth and development, uh, growth in two things. One, maybe numerically, maybe some people are church hopping. This always happens when a new pastor comes to town or a new church is in town. Uh, there's church hoppers that kind of hop in and out. But then there's a difference between numeric growth and then also spiritual maturing disciples. And so I think we're also talking about not just building programs and building churches. We're talking about building people and hopefully having some kind of infrastructure and thought to how to progress people through and mature them uh, with ongoing building. You know, with my deacons, I try to do ongoing building them up with different things and trainings so that it's not just like, okay, you're trained and you're done because that's very unhealthy view of, of the Christian walk is to just think, well, I've arrived at a certain point, so I'm good. Yeah. Can I just add something there real quick, Travis? Sure. So we're talking about, you know, we're talking about this in the context of a new church start, but I think it's for anyone who's engaging in revitalization. I think, I think this is the same, you know, we saw this, we saw this very thing at, at Minneapolis, you know, even though it's not a new church start, you know, initially in the first couple of years, we saw like an explosion in growth because of what's new, right? And a lot of it transfer growth. But I think you would see this. I don't have experience in a church plant, but I imagine church plants would experience this to some extent too. People are excited about what's new and they're doing things differently and they're looking towards the future. But once they actually realize the buy-in that it's going to require and what scripture is actually calling, calling them to do, there's this tendency to start leaving. And so, yeah, you're going to see like seasons of growth, but you're also going to see seasons of decline. I'm sure we'll talk about that more. Yes. But just because it's a numerical attendance decline doesn't mean that your church is unhealthy. Because what what we realized, I hate using numbers, but I will. You know, probably the first Sunday I preached at Minneapolis, there was like 18 people, and I would say a core group of maybe five. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, two years in, we were pushing 65 people a core group of maybe 10. Mm. But then we started to see that numerical attendance decline. But, you know, at that point, the Lord was really working on me with revitalization. And now we're at a point where our attendance isn't pushing 65, but our core group is probably closer to 30. And so uh, it's been important for me to communicate that to the church to help see what healthy growth looks like and what healthy growth doesn't look like. Yeah, in some ways, I feel like a revitalization or a replant curve, because in some ways, if that you're listening, if you can imagine a bell curve, so it's got, you know, on each side is, is slower and smaller. And then most, you know, churches that are planted are going to f- follow a bell curve. Uh, in revitalization, I think it would be more like two bell curves. So you'll have this bump up whenever the new pastor comes in. But then not long after, there will be a decline. 
This is just kind of the natural tendency of it. We even saw this with the revitalization of Southern Seminary. When Moeller came in, he told people, I'm either going to um, turn this thing around or I'm going to kill it. And it's going to get to a point, I think, where it's going to feel like the church is just going to tank right before you start that that journey back up. So I, I'm, I've thought about just saying, you know, in a, in a life cycle of a church, that's kind of what a new S-curve starts there. And So let's talk about... Pastors are unsuccessful in revitalization because they're, they're, you know, not patient enough to stick with it, or, uh, you know, whatever whatever the case may be. You know, at Nam they talk about preach, pray, love, stay, and the staying part is the difficult part when Absolutely. you hit when you when you're in the valley between those two bell curves. That's right. And it's hard, you know, and, and let me say this, if you're listening to this, you're like, I'm not going to be a replanter. I'm going to revitalize or listen, church planting's hard. You buckle your seatbelt. I'm going to give you an uncomfortable stat that's true of church planters. And here it is. After you're in year four and five with your church, you're going to have close to a 90% turnover of your people. And that's a, that's a rough hit for a church planter. I'm just going to tell you it's rough. So. All right, let's talk about the next phase then. Let's just say that this is no S-curve, and then at we're going to reach a point here of uh, growth, and it's going to hit something called uh, a plateau or maturity. Uh, what is this stage, and what does it look like in a church? I think, I think at, this, at, this, at the top of this S-curve, at, at the beginning of the plateau phase, I think everyone's comfortable with one another. They're certainly going to be comfortable with the pastor, probably. The pastor's going to be comfortable with them. And so the danger is that you fall into a season of complacency because, you know, things have been going really well. We're sort of at our peak. Everything's good. And so, you know, now we're just going to ride it out, right? We're just, we're just going to be on cruise control for a while. And then that leads into a very dangerous uh, area of plateau when you would start back down on the other side of the bell curve. We'll talk about starting the S curves, I'm sure. But, you know, for me, that's, for me, that's the big characteristic of someone who's just at the top of the S curve heading into plateau, a church that's just heading into that season. It's just, just a level of comfort, which is not necessarily bad, but, you know, I think that's a major characteristic for a church like that. They're just comfortable. Things are good. I would say another mark of a plateau is that there is no sense of urgency. There is no sense of urgency to do signage, to do anything much. You know, thing. You know, the lights are on, the preacher's preaching. There's the money is in the bank. Uh, we are an established church, and you know, so we don't see this pressing need. In some ways, when a church is in a plateau, even though this is like the time that a church needs to seriously consider what to do to continue towards growing and reaching new people. They're kind of almost like you said, lulled to sleep. I would say a church plateau is equivalent in the medical field to hypertension, right? You guys know what hypertension is? High blood pressure. And, uh, so like sometimes people that have hypertension maybe get a little dizzy, but sometimes they don't know it until what? They have a heart attack. And so churches that are in this sort of plateaued, lulled, comfortable state, don't feel an urgency and don't feel pain enough to change. Yeah. In my experience, by the time a church acknowledges that they're plateaued, they're actually not plateaued anymore. They're, they're already on the decline. That's right. They're already behind. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a great segue. So let's dive into that because we're actually, if you can believe this, we're about to hit 20 minutes here. So uh, let's talk about the decline of a church 
and and what are signs indicators what does that mean and look like it's going down it's going down in what ways well when you sit there and go to the decline um what you're seeing in churches a lot of time um members go key leadership goes um to use a word i've heard before your uh, younger berries and old new berries they're they're, they're gone they, these are people that have come in um, when the new pastor comes or whatever and they're they're on board with the vision of the church but when they see that things aren't going well the vision's gone nothing's happening they're like right, we're going to roll on to the next place and so the decline is really the church's lack of acknowledging that they have to keep doing the work of the ministry is a decline always because of the church or the church's fault not necessarily um but very rarely, I would say, of course, I'm not the Ph.D. guy here. Um, I would say sometimes the community itself is who, declining. Who is the Ph.D. guy here? Because I'm the D-men guy. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Papa T over on the other side over there. Yeah. But I think not, not necessarily is it always the church's fault or the pastor's fault or whatever. The community as a whole can start to decline. Yeah, so that's what I was getting at. A prime example of that would be Bluefield, West Virginia. So in Bluefield, West Virginia, they have seen a continual dying of the town because, you know, it used to be a, a mining town and, and the, the Obama years were very hard on all mining communities and people have just been pulling out left and right. Uh, I'm not making a statement about any president. It's just observationally true for those that are in Appalachia. You know that when Democrats are in office, it is harder on Appalachia in the coal country areas. So uh, anyway, Bluefield has been dying. And because Bluefield has been dying, guess what's happened to every church in Bluefield? Yeah. They're all dying. And and there's going to be places in Appalachia. I also think of Pikeville, Kentucky is another example of this. Pikeville has been seeing some decline, but they're seeing some restoration of the community. And I would almost guarantee there are other cities in this area that are in Appalachia that have had, had this happen. My wife, uh, her husband, her husband, her first husband, which is me, <laughs> my my wife's grandfather is from a town in Missouri called Anaconda, Missouri. You ever heard of it? No, uh, Anaconda, Missouri is dead. No one lives there. The town died. And so when the town died, the churches there died as well. All right, what are some other signs of uh, decline in there? And is it possible to, uh, is it easier to start another S-curve of growth and maturity from decline or from plateau? What do you think? Decline. I think decline, people are actually acknowledging, well, something's not going on. Something's not right. I think a plateau, everyone's happy. Decline, you're starting to see some red lights go off. Yeah. yeah. The best place to start is obviously a plateau, but it's hard because, as Matthew said, there's there's no one's no one's siren is going off yet. There's no red lights going off. And as to another sign of decline, you know, to talk about something that maybe just a little bit little bit less spiritual but church budgets right right just because you're just because you're in decline doesn't mean that you're going to be in financial constraints but uh -huh. i would i would encourage churches to look at the percentage of their budget what percentage of their budget is going to what you know if the vast majority of your budget is going towards facilities and staff well i won't say that if if 80% of your budget's going towards those two things, 
you got an issue, right? Because there's only there's very little money left to go towards ministries, to go towards evangelism, missions, outreach, you know, things things of that nature. And so just because your church has a huge budget, there, you can still see signs of decline there because so much of your money is just going towards paying staff members and just keeping up facilities. Oddly enough, a lot of churches that are in decline or actually die don't die for lack of financial resources. Usually you will actually see uh, churches that are dying will have money in the bank. It is not an issue of money most of the time when they're dying and, and declining into death. It is an issue of um, the heart to go on, not losing heart, The uh, an issue of uh, misunderstanding or losing vision and direction for what you're supposed to be doing. And we're not called to necessarily reimagine the church. We're really just called to reestablish the church to what Christ has already said and given us. Uh, so, you know, it is, I think, and you have stages of decline, like you have early decline where it's slow, mid decline where the rate picks up, and then quick to quick decline. Uh, I was just listening to a podcast recently about something about when churches start declining under a hundred, it starts getting more and more rapid. Uh, the decline seems to speed up exponentially. Uh, I don't know why that is. I don't have reasons for that. That's just an observation uh, in here in the convention. All right. Now let's talk about uh, death here in the last little bit. Uh, can a dying church that you know, can a church still give glory to God when it dies? Contrary to what some people believe, I think the answer would be yes. What does that look like? I think it looks at this new catchphrase that we like called a replant. Um, but I, I think the beautiful thing with this, um, and I know last year we went to a replant summit, and uh, we about got uh, murdered by some people from Missouri with our uh, hypothesis on a church. But sometimes when a church is dead, it's assets. Like you just sat there and sit, sit in a minute ago. You know, when a church dies, it's not because of lack of money. When a church dies, it's not because they don't have the facility. When a church dies, it's because people have lost a vision for what God has called them to do. Or, or they've got to a point with some of the people in the, in the church that maybe they just don't have the, the, the manpower to continue to do the work of the ministry. Yeah. You know, if, if their members have gotten to a certain age where they, they can't go out, they don't want to drive at night because they don't feel safe, they can't see or they don't have the energy to be able to go do stuff, then, you know, the, the church is going to have to close its doors at some point. And what the beautiful thing is, is say there is a person that has a heart for that area with the gospel, what the church can do is not just shut its doors and board them up. The church can sit there and say, you know, we no longer have the willpower to do this, but we have the facility and we have the money that we want to pass over to y'all and what God is doing through y'all. And as an older generation, we want to walk alongside of y'all and encourage y'all to continue to do the work God's called you to do. So it's what would be called a replant. That's why I think not all churches that close its doors is necessarily a bad thing when there's another opportunity for a gospel community to come in. Yeah, but that's hard. You know, the phrase that Travis always uses is it's, it takes a lot of courage to shoot a dead horse, right? <laughs> and in situations... In the situation that you're talking about, you know, when we were at the North American Mission Board and we had this case study, you know, it was, we, we, we had to shoot a hypothetical dead horse, which is a little bit easier than shooting an actual dead horse, but. But if the horse is dead, it don't feel nothing. Yeah, but the people who are shooting it do. Yeah. 
That's exactly right. So, so yeah, that I really think that a lot of times it boils down to Second Corinthians four sixteen issue when these churches die. The Bible says, "So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away; our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction has prepared us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comprehension." We have to remind ourselves. In death and churches, if you're going through writing your bylaws or writing your constitution right now or revisiting that, you need to put a provision in there for the day when the church shuts its doors and what happens to those resources because there are still resources. They don't belong to you. Listen to me. Those of you that are hearing this, you are a steward of God's resources. That church building and that money is Jesus Christ building and money. You need to take that building and money and you need to use it for great commission and great commandment purposes, fulfilling the mission that Christ gave us. And like Matthew highlighted there, either selling it or using it in a new work or, you know, whatever the Lord provides or, you know, returning it to your association so that they can repurpose it and use it. Whatever, whatever, you know, God gives the opportunity to do or what that looks like may vary, but you need to have an eye towards that. That's really good. I know. I know. I won't name any of them, but I know of at least three churches in our area who the land was was deeded to them met by a family or something for for the purpose of the church. And in in that, if the church was ever closed, the the land is supposed to revert back to that family. And that family may not even have any affiliation with the church anymore. And so. Something, you know, there's something to look at. It's something to, to consider as a church. Now, you don't ever want to think about closing, but it's poor stewardship if you don't make provisions to be able to close well if, God forbid, that day does come. It's like one pastor told me once, nobody dies like Christians die. It should be the same thing should be true. No organization or no other living organism like this should die like the church should. The death of a church should spark new life and continuing in the work. Yeah. Well, guys, we're, we're out of time for this episode. Any closing thoughts? Yeah. All right. Thanks. Thank you for joining us on the Appalachian Baptist Network. Join us next week as we take a look at what it means to revitalize a church. What is the definition of church revitalization? Thank you all and continue to remain faithful. You have been listening to the Appalachian Baptist Network. Thanks for joining us. If you have a question or comment for our host, please send an email to Network at gmail.com or send us a voice message on our Anchor website page at anchor.fm slash Appalachian dash Baptist dash network. Join us again next Monday.